Let me start by reading uh, the passages today. And there's two passages today, back to back, and they're going to feel totally different from each other. But I'm going to just start in Mark chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing uh, pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell anybody about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, this is an, an incredible passage. These two passages are back to back. When you just read through Mark, you might think to yourself, well, there isn't much here. There isn't much here for us. It's just kind of a, a story set up piece. But this is how literary genius Mark is. Mark frames and structures his story um, in an incredible way. And, and I really think Mark's trying to tell us something here. Because there seems to be a connection between the two. So we're just going to go real quick, verse by verse, through the first story. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from all over. And it lists this list of places, these cities, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. So this... These are people coming from all over the place. They're coming from all directions. They're coming from all backgrounds and and all these different circumstances in their life. But what unites them is that they want healing. They want to experience what this, this rabbi, this healing rabbi can do. And he's getting pretty popular, as you can tell. And it says in verse nine, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him. So he's already thinking of a possible exit plan. It says the people were crowding him. um, And that word actually means it was really aggressive. It was like a mobbing. And so Jesus tells him to get the boat ready. Um, He wants to have some space. And here's the reason behind it. It says in verse 10, for he healed many. And it says so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Like, People wanted to be in his space. 30 years is the life expectancy. Around 30 years was the life expectancy of somebody who lived in this time. So many premature, uh, so many deaths of children, 
um, there's disease and all these different things that, that medical science had not, you know, been invented yet. So there's this, this quick ability for people to experience, uh, you know, a real decaying in their bodies and a real disease uh, that would take them. And so people were de- desperate for healing. They hear about this healing rabbi and they come from all over. Jew, Samarian, doesn't matter, all over. And it says this in verse 11, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. And and what's interesting is they knew who he was. And think about it, hordes of people coming from all over the place and they don't really know who he is. They they know what he can do, and they've heard what he can do, but they really don't know who he is. But the interesting part is the the demons, the spiritual entities living and 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 residing inside and you know and oppressing people, they know who he is. And what Mark, what is Mark trying to tell us here? Well, I think he's trying to tell us that it's completely possible to be around Jesus, to be in the vicinity of Jesus and still not know who he is. Not really know who he is. Like it, you may even be healed by Jesus and still really not know that he's Lord. And so then it, then it abruptly shifts here to a new scene. And this scene is in an isolated place and there's really a stark contrast here. There's, there's mobs of people in the first scene. And then the second scene, it's Jesus and just a few people. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, verse 13, and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. And then it says in verse 14, he appointed 12. And this is where Mark's story begins to take on a new shape. Because... It's not an accident that Jesus appoints 12 disciples. He's really clearly sending a message. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and this is a significant number to the people um, around him. You know, you got the 12 sons of, of Israel, and then the, that become the 12 tribes of Israel, and then the, the northern uh, 10 tribes get taken off and pretty much wiped out by the Assyrians. And, and then you, we, we know the, the conversation about the, the southern two tribes, and they get taken off to Babylon a little later on. What this is pointing to, this is Jesus pointing to this idea that there's coming a time when I am going to restore Israel, where I'm going to bring back this nation once again. And, and so this is a moment of real special status and commissioning. And this is a moment where Jesus is saying, I'm going to be doing something that you've been waiting for um, as a people for generations. And it's this idea of a new family and he's creating this new family and a new group of people and then what we learn is a few more things about what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. Check out verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Um, 
these are some of the questions we've been asking this whole, this whole year, really, in 2020. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it really mean to apprentice our lives after Jesus? Because this is, this is the beginning of it. It says, you are called by Jesus. So these disciples were actually called by Jesus. Jesus is inviting them. And some of you experience this um, in your life where there's a stirring within you that you can't explain that there's this, this pull and this invitation and this calling in you to come and follow Jesus. And it is, I sit with people all the time, um, well, not right now, but when I, when I used to, um, and hear their story, it's always about God stirring something within them. And it, and it could be a painful thing or it could be a, a beautiful thing, but God is drawing them towards him. And there's, there's no resumes, there's no interview process. Jesus just does the choosing. John, one of his disciples later on records in the gospel of John, he says, uh, this, this is what Jesus says. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And it pointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. So, in all reality, we don't find Jesus. He finds us. I mean, in some ways, you could think, well, the crowd found him. Well, yeah, but they were kind of looking for what they were going to get. But at, at a deeper level, Jesus finds us. And I want you to just let that sink in. It says that those he wanted, he called those he wanted. And, and this is a total flip from where it used to be in order to follow a rabbi, you would, you would have to perform and you would have to prove that you could follow a rabbi. But Jesus picks them. Um, it's not like how it is for us where we have so many choices. We have all these choices, picking a college, picking a mentor, picking a tutor, picking a job, picking a career. Jesus finds us. And it says that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is another thing we learn about following Jesus. That when we begin to follow Jesus, when we are called, and when Jesus invites us to follow, and we deny ourselves, and that, that comes later on in Mark, um, we're given new purpose. And we're given specifically two new purposes. The first one is to be with him. And the second one is that he might send us out. And so this is some of the language that we've been using around our church for the last two and a half years. Is this idea that in order to follow Jesus, um, we have to reorient our lives around what it looks like to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And this is... This is the first piece of that. He says, your number one priority is to be with me. Um, he invited them. It says that they might be with him. Um, and it's this idea of it's the who before the what. This is the idea that our core calling is to the person of Jesus, that to do life with Jesus. And that's bef well before we do anything for God. Uh, we're, we're actually meant to be in a relationship with Jesus. And that's the whole point, the doing 
before the being. I mean, the being before the doing. And, and God has always longed to be in relationship with his people. And what we learned last week is that the Pharisees kind of got caught up in rules and the doing, not the being. And Jesus is inviting you and I into a relationship with the living God, like a being with relationship. And a relationship like that takes time and it takes communication. Angela and I, um, you know, back in the day when we first started hanging out, um, much like many couples have, you have one of those moments where you kind of have the talk. And it's been kind of labeled the DTR, the define the relationship talk. And if you've never had one of these, oh, well, you probably have. But if you haven't, um, here's the thing. Our, our define the relationship talk was um, she was kind of getting a little pressure from friends. You know, we were hanging out and we were hanging out quickly. We got together and we just wanted to spend time together all the time. And her friends were just like, hey, maybe you're taking this too fast. Maybe, you know, maybe this guy's just a total twerp, whatever. And so she sits down with me and she says, hey, I think we need to slow down and just be friends for a little while. And I said, no, we're not going to be friends. This isn't a friend thing <laughs> anymore. And, um, and so it, what's interesting is that I think that that's a natural conversation to have in a relationship. Like, where are we? What does this look like? And I think for some of us, we have to con- continually have that conversation with God. Like, what is this relationship? Like, let's put this out on the table. Like maybe you've been uh, playing around and thinking about this whole relationship with Jesus. Maybe you, you've known about Jesus all your life, um, but you really don't know what it looks like to be with Jesus. Um, and, 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 and here's the thing. What's interesting is the difference is between doing stuff, which I think is easier to do stuff for God than it is to be with Jesus. Jesus. And it's sometimes it's easier in a, in a normal relationship to do stuff for somebody than it is to just be with them. I had this conversation with Angela. Now we've been married almost 24 years. And you see where that friend conversation got her. And um, the, uh, the, the reality is, as I asked her the other day, I said, hey, on the scale of one, I'm like, do I do, I do more stuff for you or or do I spend more time with you? Like, I was trying to ask her, like, is it better? What do you like more, me spending time with you or doing stuff for you? And she's like, well, I love you doing stuff for me, but I really miss being with you. And and in, in some ways, I feel like I've kind of missed the point of our relationship in some ways. Like, I've done a lot for her, but I want I wanted to be with her more. And I think that that's the issue that that Jesus is getting at here, this, this be with me first. And the second thing he says is to be sent out. And this is the doing part, to join him in mission, that we're called and we're sent. And so he says two things about being sent out. The first one is to preach, and the second one is to have authority uh, to drive out demons. Okay, so let's get to that one second. The first one is to preach. Now, some of you are freaking out because you're like, I'm not going to do what this moron on the video is doing. 
I don't like to talk in front of people. Um, we've confused that word. The word is actually cariso, which is uh, publicly announce and, and tell people about good, the good news of, of who Jesus is and to announce the kingdom. And uh, the reality is, is you don't have to do that on a stage in front of people. That you and I do that, have a chance to do that every day in our lives. And, and the reality is, if, if you follow Jesus, you have everything you need to do that. You don't need a stage and a microphone and um, some, some goofy jokes or whatever. Uh, during this time, you actually have an opportunity, um, it, whether you're in quarantine or not, and, 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 and to have a relationship with somebody and to, to pursue them and love them and care for them. And, and when something comes up, when the conversation shifts, when talking about deeper things and the meaning of life and who God is and all that kind of stuff, you have the opportunity to tell the truth and to be honest and authentic about who you are and what God has called you to do. N.T. Wright says this, proclaiming the gospel to a lost world cannot be just another activity to add to the church's crowded agenda. It must be central to who we are. It forms our identity. And so the first one is to preach. And then the second one he says here in this verse is to have authority to drive out demons. Now, um, I know you don't like to think about that, um, and and we, we just kind of refer you back to the conversation we had last fall about how in this world there are powers at work, spiritual powers, unseen things that are happening that are going against God's order and God's will and God's created order in this world. And so you've been given an authority, if you follow Jesus, to push against wherever there is darkness. And, conf- and that might be in a number of different ways that might actually be in a situation with a, a, a demon-possessed person or someone who's um, oppressed by a spiritual force. But it also might be helping someone confront a lie that they've b- bought into in their life or stepping into an area of injustice and, 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 and pushing into that, even though it's uncomfortable, or helping to rescue someone from addiction. You've been given the presence of God and the authority to go and do that. But all of the doing flows from the being, from the being with Jesus part. And all of this happens in community. It doesn't happen on your own. You're not on an island um, I know a lot of you feel isolated right now, and I just want to encourage you um, and, and challenge you because isolation will breed isolation. So some of you are sitting, uh, you're alone a lot, and you're in your own thoughts, and you're, and you're kind of beating yourself up about you know, how good of a Christian you are or whatever. You need people in your life, and this all flows through community. And the reason why I say that is because look at verse 16 as we wrap this up. He says, there are 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Now we know who Peter is, right? Peter kind of pushes back at some stuff Jesus says a little later on in Mark. And Jesus tells him to get behind him and that he's Satan. So um, there's Peter for you. Um, He also goes on to deny Jesus three times. And he, he cuts off the ear of a guy when he's angry. 
Um, so Peter's got some work to do, but, but Jesus calls him. Uh, then there's Thomas. Poor guy's been uh, called Doubting Thomas the rest of his life and the rest of two millennia. James, son of, son of Alphaeus, um, some, some uh, early church fathers called him James the Lesser. So that's kind of a cool nickname. Then there's Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. Uh, zealots were freedom fighters, revolutionaries. I think of guerrilla warfare. They were actually about to try to overthrow throw Rome in any way they could. Then there's Judas Iscariot who betrayed him to cap it all off. Actually, I missed Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and then Matthew, the tax collector, right? That guy, the, the traitor. And then it, to cap it all off, he says Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now, later on, I mean, the Pharisees called these guys ignorant and uneducated men. They were 16 to 20 years old. Um, but if you fast forward to the book of Acts, Luke calls uh, these uh, followers of Jesus, these disciples, those who turned the world upside down. And how did this group of people, these guys, this ragtag group that Jesus gave authority to cast out demons um, and preach. How did they change the world? Well, because of Jesus. Jesus gives Simon a new name. Tells him he's going to build his church with him. Change these guys. One of the sons of thunder, right? Jesus names them the sons of thunder because they have a violent anger problem. One of the sons of thunder is a guy named John who ends up becoming called the apostle of love. And he stands up and he, he, he sends a letter out that says, love one another and people will know we follow Jesus because of our love. See the trajectory of transformation in that. Sons of thunder, apostle of love. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were, when you were called. He's like, think about what you were before. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, and so that no one may boast before him. Because of him, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's because of Jesus' calling of, uh, on your life and pulling at your life. And guess what? You are welcomed into the club of least likelies. Really. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like a group of people with a whole bunch of different backgrounds, a whole bunch of different um, problems and uh, idiosyncrasies and identity issues and all that kind of stuff pulled together that God somehow changes and forms into a family, into a community. And, and that group of people changes the world. God wants to change us. God wants to change you. And so remember the difference we've talked about all spring, the difference between the crowds and the disciples. 
the crowds over and over again, right? They're, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people that want something and they come when they need something. They're not really interested in who Jesus is. They're interested in what Jesus can give them. Um, And we fall into that too. We fall into that all the time. Some of us, you know, you may be bringing um, with you the desire to have, um, you know, good kids and um, a a better marriage and um, a better life and career and, and all those things. You might be bringing that with you. And that's kind of a, a sign you might be part of the crowd. Listen to this quote from Francis Chan. He says, many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Christ and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to those first disciples and saying, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry, I don't actually care if you do anything I do or change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. So I guess the question for me, the question for you, crowd or disciple? And the final question I would have is if you're a disciple, where where are you being called? When we're called to enter the dark places and we're called to announce the kingdom. And so this morning, maybe that's where you need to reflect. Where do you, where's God calling you to announce? And where's God calling you to enter the darkness with others? Let me pray this morning. God, we're grateful to still be connected in this time. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your life. We're grateful for that you draw us in. God, you created us and you love us. And you want to reclaim us and you want to remake us. And you want us to respond to the call that you've initiated, that you've pulled us and you've chosen us and you, and, and you want us to come along with you and join you in what you are up to in the world because you're up to the kingdom and you want us to be up to the kingdom as well. Show us how to do that. We pray these things in your name.